1: can save some real money on Princeton University Press Books. I encourage you to go there and check it out.
0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: So, welcome to the New Books Network podcast, uh, Daniel and Alex, to talk about your book *Alien Sning. I'm neither an astrophysicist nor a music theorist, but I absolutely found this book so exciting and engaging. And I've been recommending it to like all my friends and coworkers because it's so—it's such a fun read. Uh, and I learned so much about what music is and what music could be for aliens. It's just been. Very fun. So I just wanna start off thanking you for this work and making music theory so accessible and fun.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for your kind words.
1: Um, And you start this book by describing its origins were on a napkin since misplaced. Um, And I'm wondering, even though topics and ideas can't really be pinned down to like a single moment or point, I'm wondering where the idea for this book came from and how you two started working together on it.
0: Go Danielle. I I always wanna hear
2: what you have to say. Uh, well, um, I remember that we met at a conference. So I'm in Hong Kong and Alex is in the States. So we met at a conference in Canada, in Vancouver. Uh, and I just said, let's have breakfast because I have no idea what you're doing these days, Alex. Uh, and so we had breakfast. I think it's your second breakfast, Alex. And. Um, So we started talking and then we sort of discovered that we have a mutual interest in things in space and intergalactic things and universal things, which is actually quite rare in musicology. And so we decided that maybe we should um, think of doing something crazy together. And I think, Alex, you came up with the idea of the golden record to tie all our thoughts together together. And then I came up with a crazy idea that we should have an intergalactic musicological council, which never happened. But instead, we decided to write a book together. That's right. I'd been teaching the Golden
0: Record in sort of one big class and you know we had i mean one semester long class on various forms of listening and uh, the golden record featured as you know one rather extreme kind of listening and so you know i had a one hour lecture on it and i always thought that there's much more to be said about the topic and uh, so you know after this conversation with daniel um one thing led to another and that's who came about
1: an intergalactic music council what would that what would that look like i feel like one of one of the things i was wondering is will will my imte commitment form actually get to that secretary general that you have that you have in the book <laughs>
2: We have a lot of humor in the book. So yes, there is a, a commitment form because we want everyone to be you know, music theorists. That's the most important thing. And so we want everyone to sign up for that. But obviously, if you set it off uh, to me, I would reply to you, but probably as Buzz Lightyear because I think that's the address actually that I put on that particular form.
0: <laughs> I, I somehow imagine the, the council a bit like the cantina in the, the famous Star Wars scene. Um, so you know it definitely has to have music
1: i guess what were some of the issues and barriers that you see within like the music theory discourse because it doesn't seem like everyone is a music theorist and that that seems to be a, a big problem like a big sticking point for you for you both in the beginning
0: not yet not, not everyone yet. is a music theorist yet you just don't know that you are <laughs> <laughs> and that's part of the book i mean there um there there is one scene early on in the book um, about the state of music theory and i think it's um I think it's quite comical when i first you know uh, um when when we first uh um worked out that that chapter that made me laugh um but there is actually a, a huge amount of work going on in the field of music theory right now i mean i think you know everybody recognizes that it is rather narrow um or has been rather And that, you know, people are really interested in moving the boundaries outwards. And so our book is kind of one contribution to those efforts.
2: We do give the music theorists a very hard time. Uh, in this book because we sort of chastised them for not thinking about the cosmos because you know, music theory used to be all about the cosmos. It sort of shrank down into um, a kind of discipline that deals with very small uh, uh, group of canonical works. So we decided we wanted to blast that open. And so we were actually very rude, but we had a lot of fun being rude. So I hope all my friends are still my friends in music theory. <laughs> That's the main thing we'll soon find out <laughs>
1: yeah I think the that that makes sense I mean I'm, I'm not like I said I'm not a, a music theorist but I think I mean everyone I mean, most people listen to music most people like music and like to think about music um so I think that that's like important you know to like break that open and you know help people be able to analyze the type of music and go go beyond just what uh or human centeredness is. And that that kind of leads me to the question of like, like you point out that music theory and media studies in general are sort of very focused on humans and that these things ought to be looked at using what you call like a flat ontology. Um, could you describe like maybe what that term means and sort of how we can sort of go back to that older cosmological sense of music theory or I mean things in general even.
0: Yeah, so, um um a flat ontology it's you know the, there are some um efforts underway you know philosophy in science uh, and technology studies and and various fields that are kind of you know trying to link the humanities outwards that are trying to rethink subject-object relationships and try to get beyond um, the old binaries and one of the, the, um, you know, I mean, one, one of the really important, um, models here is Bruno Latour's actor network theory. And, you know, the idea of, uh, of networks of, uh, of agents coming together. And in some ways, the kind of flat ontology, the object oriented ontology approach tries to take it one step further. Um, but you know, the, the basic idea is always that, um, you know, traditionally, you make distinctions between humans and objects. um, And, uh, and the networking approach, whether it's with literature or with triple O, is that we should level out those distinctions. Um, And that doesn't mean that, you know, everybody is a thing, it can also mean that everybody has a certain element of life and agency and so it's you know it's 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 not that humans are being devalued but um, but the things that we normally consider to be lifeless are raised to the same level
2: yeah basically I think everyone is connected to everything. And uh, that means that we really have to think in a different way so that, you know, we don't make humans the kind of selfie in the middle of every bit of knowledge uh, that we try to gain. And the music is very good for helping us to think in this very flat way. That's why we, we think that a flat ontology is one way of describing what we need to do if we're trying to think of music beyond what humans do.
0: And if I can just piggyback um onto that because i wanted to to get back to the point that daniel raised earlier uh, a little bit obliquely about you know music theory's tradition um a cosmological tradition because i mean you know the first music theorist is the mythical figure of pythagoras um you know who was incredibly influential for being a, the first 15 hundred years off the discipline. Um, and then he went out of fashion. (laughs) I mean, there, there are good reasons for it, but the, this ambition of the Pythagorean worldview, that everything is connected and that everything, um, is music because everything, you know, in, for Pythagoreans, everything relates to numbers as does music, as does, you know, um, uh, astronomy, as does you know, geometry and um, and arithmetic, and so some of that ambition is what we we're trying to get back to. What we propose in the book is a slightly different model. So rather than Pythagoras. Um, we offer a model that uh, takes its starting point with Penelope, Odysseus's wife, who sits at home waiting for her husband, and she sits at the loom and weaves a shroud. And that's sort of the image that we use for our music theory.
1: Yeah, I thought that like music as a fabric was a, like, a very beautiful analogy. Like it's like weaving space time together. It's almost like incorporating like general relativity. Almost like the the fabric of space time, right? Um, so I guess how how does that like metaphor and myth sort of break from like the that like the previous um, theory of music using Pythagoras as the model?
2: Well, Pythagorean music theory is based on harmonies, based on tuning. So it's about these very simple uh whole number relationships uh, so when you divide the string in half you know you get an octave and so on um, but we're proposing something completely different because the pythagorean method is actually very restrictive you now you, you basically only have very beautiful integer numbers that go to count up to four um, but uh in our view we, music should be much more free than this and we take as our starting point uh, repetition in other words music is primarily Rhythm. I think it's very hard to think of the music without rhythm, where it is possible to think of music without harmony. So I think the more basic aspect of music is rhythm. And once you're theorizing rhythm, you come up with a very different theory that looks something like this weaving of space time that we talk about in our Penelope, Penelopean theory, I don't know how you pronounce that word, uh, of music, uh, of the intellect, intergalactic music theory of everything.
1: I think that's a good point. I think like you you come to this point a lot um, in the book, but I'm just wondering, or maybe like as a good summary question would be like why, like, why is repetition so central to music and sort of what is the relationship of music to repetition and sort of how does that like differ sort of like, what, what's the role that difference can play, play in that?
0: Yeah, this is really where the golden record comes in. I mean, you know, the golden record is really the, the, uh, the object that kind of you know ties our theoretical ideas together and uh so you know just to recapitulate very briefly what happened in nineteen seventy seven nasa shot um a compilation of world music into outer space um pressed into the two sides of a of an l p that was gilded for protection against radiation and rust um, and um and In its grooves, it has a lot of information. And one thing that was really innovative about the project was that they they included sonified images. They included music from all parts of the world. They included words, um, I mean, messages from UN delegates and various other people. um, And all these different kinds of these different forms of expression were all pressed a sound. And that's, you know, I, I say that in, in in scare quotes, because of course, they're not sounds on the record, they're just wiggly lines, they're just uh, part of the groove. And the problem that NASA never quite faced up to is what happens at the other end? I mean, yeah, they they did about as well as they could, but in the absence of knowing what kind of you know what what species the recipients are, it's really hard to to know much more than that. So what we have are just the grooves that carry data, and uh, and the data is in the form of frequencies, and frequencies are just repeated um, repeated um, pressure changes in the in a medium like air or perhaps water or perhaps another liquid or gaseous uh, medium. And so even at at that level, you have repetition um, because in order to create a musical tone, you have to have repeated cycles of frequencies. And so we got rather taken by this idea of how, and, you know, a different species, an alien civilization that is completely differently Um, shaped than us that has maybe different sensory organs, what they might be able to do with this information on the record. And listening with our ears would be the easiest way, but that's pretty unlikely that that they come out the same way. Um, So really all we have to go on if we want to reconstruct earth music from the ground up is repetition at various levels. And so that, you know, and we call we call the kind of temporal organization of music rhythm and so that's really what it is but it's really rhythm in, a, in an incredibly broad sense where um you know where even a single pitch that constitutes of repeated cycles is some kind of rhythm that we just don't hear as a rhythm but we hear it as a pitch but really that's because of the way our ears
2: are made yeah, the key thing for us is that um, everything in the universe does actually repeat because everything, you know, has cycles and oscillations because it's just the nature of time and how things persist. So the idea for us is that music. In some sense, it's about uh, how uh, time is made coherent through a process of non-identical repetition. In other words, things repeat, but they always repeat differently. And so the key thing isn't just about repeating the same thing. It's about how things change and how it's possible to have difference within repetition itself. So if you have that, you have basically all the components you need for an intergalactic music theory of everything. You see, it's simple.
1: I wonder then um, how how that makes like if like any any sound then or any like repetition or frequency is that is that music then?
2: Yes, Yes. (laughs) in one sense. I mean, we we actually did a little analysis of John Cage's four minutes and thirty three seconds, which is basically um, just four minutes and thirty three seconds of audience. Noise uh, and anything can happen in that space. But we sort of kind of showed we tr- we try to show how that's actually a form of music based on repetition. Uh, so in a way, what we want to do is to extend the uh, how we define music. If you don't want to think of it purely in human ways, then we have to think uh, of music as something that happens. But sometimes we just don't hear it as music either because it's a form of repetition that is beyond the scale of human hearing. But it's still there. It's still happening, uh, or because we just you know, categorize it as noise or things that we try to filter out. But as long as you focus on something that repeats, it is potentially music. At least that's how we think about it. Uh, so it's not just sound, it is actually music that is happening in the world around us.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I guess I, or you, you talk about how, um, sort of like how the music or the the sounds and images on the golden record without like, any sort of context that maybe that sort of like music is like loses its cultural context by not being tied to earth anymore so that that almost makes you wonder like what what's like missing from like the golden record or like an alien listening to the golden record like what what are they what are they really missing out on or what what do they have to sort of learn you talk about like anthropology in a sense um, that they have to like reconstruct human culture just from this one lp
0: i know that's always um a really fascinating question i mean when they when they put together the golden record um on earth in record time i they they did this in 6 weeks which still seems superhuman to me um they were trying to be really good about um, representing earth music representing or really world world music music from all the parts of the world um, in about as fair and equitable a way as they as they could um, given all the constraints they had and at the same time you know one thing that i love is that the the makers of the golden record really wanted the Potential aliens to be music analysts, because um, music theorists, because they sort of gave little hints about how how someone might approach a reconstruction of what was going on, and so one of the things that they were very keen on was uh, to have multiple pieces by the same composer, and you know, I mean, they were very interested in both Bach and Beethoven, and, you know, that's part of the upbringing that, you know, there is a certain bias toward Western culture, but I think, you know, it's, it's relatively small, given that, you know, this isn't, this was in 1977, but they put in multiple pieces by Bach and Beethoven, because they were hoping that this would make a, a, you know, a useful basis for comparison. Um, I think that's how they put it. But of course, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that they assume that the composer would be the unifying factor here. Um, And, you know, that makes sense. That's how we normally think about music um, here on Earth. But of course, if you don't know anything about composers, about different musical traditions, that's a big leap. Um, And there are other factors that seem much more obvious like you know is it a fast piece of music is it a slow piece of music is it you know does it use high range low range does it is it in multiple voices is it just one instrument um and you know those factors are so basic in some sense for our way of thinking that we kind of filter that out whereas if you don't have any other criteria laid out for you, that might well be something that becomes really important, So all this is to say that we have no idea how um, how alien cultures might reconstruct our human musical culture. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see, I mean, you know, in a best case scenario, if there in fact is an alien civilization out there, the earliest time that anything might happen is 40,000 years from now. So that would be long after Daniel or I are around to know what's going to happen.
2: Or our species, perhaps.
0: Or our species.
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) they're it gonna come amazing. here and like find your book and be like oh
2: now i get it <laughs> oh yeah that's right alien <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> It's amazing how basically culture kind of disappears. That's why we say the book is really about what music is, rather than what music means. Because you know, once you go into mm-hmm. the specific of meaning, then of course that's already lost the moment it goes into the kind of contextless uh, uh, areas of space. Uh, and so that's why we're focusing on repetition and the grooves of the record, as it were. And how can you construct uh, something meaningful out of that if that's all that is given to you? But at least you would understand that there is intelligent life out there.
1: Yeah, I feel like the the cover diagram like detailing the directions and how to listen seems so complicated as a human. I'm like wondering what assumptions were being made about aliens in these descriptions and symbols and maybe even like what are the like technological or physical like limitations to the Voyager. Like I remember in one part of the book he talked, like what like one side of the record has image images and the other side has music. Um, and like depending on like how an alien hears things, like maybe the image sounds like music or I'm just like wondering sort of like what what assumptions are being made and like what are the sort of like the limitations of like the physical aspects of the of the golden record.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in all likelihood, they wouldn't know the difference. It could just, you know, I mean, those those sonified images we hear as a low hum, as a buzz, because, you know, they're sort of just um, little sounds and then little silences where in the matrix you set dots and where you leave gaps. Um, And so, you know, our ears are constructed in such a way that we hear this as a kind of hum or a buzz but who is to say that you know for anyone who doesn't know any anything else about uh, about mu- about music from earth that this wouldn't be some interesting kind of music or perhaps there are um species out there who have sensory organs that automatically perceive those sounds as images i mean you know it's 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 a, it's an unlikely possibility but uh it's you know but Sensory organs can be constructed in all sorts of interesting ways, um, but yes, about the about the assumptions that are being made, it's just impossible to um, be, you know, to be careful enough. I mean, one of the things that has been pointed out a lot is uh, the Pioneer plaque. So the previous mes- uh, uh, mission that NASA sent out into outer space um, had a, had a famous plaque. Uh, on it with images, and it's quite iconic. I mean, you know, most people will have seen it at, at some stage. It has a naked man who raises his hand, and a naked woman standing next to next to him with the with the, uh, an image of the spacecraft in the background. And NASA got into huge trouble for depicting nudity, um, and so uh, you know that that was one of the reasons. Why they moved away from pictorial images and decided to send a sound object uh, into into outer space for their next mission, um, but even in the Pioneer plaque, there was one thing that they did that they thought was so obvious um, that turned out not to be obvious at all. They had a so they had a little representation of the sun and the nine planets, Pluto was still included at that time, um, with um with a spacecraft that you know was was uh, moving away from the third planet um and that was clearly uh, the pioneer um spacecraft that you know with an arrow from earth that was indicating it's moving away from earth and that seems so basic and so obvious to all of us that you know it really doesn't need any further explanation. But then anthropologists pointed out that arrows really don't mean anything outside of cultures that know what bow and arrows are. Um, and so there are all these kinds of assumptions that we just, you know, forget about because they they seem so basic to our way of thinking. One other feature that a friend of mine pointed out a couple of weeks ago is that, you know, the sonified images are um, are um, arranged as, as as a matrix, right, as a rectangle. Um, and, you know, it's very cleverly done with, um, with uh, prime numbers so that there are very few ways in which you can reconstruct the image. But then the basic assumption is that you would want to turn it into a rectangle. And that makes total sense on Earth where all our images or, you know, the majority of our images are rectangular. We put them in frames. I mean, I have some behind me. Um, and They're all rectangular because that's what a picture is. But there's really no reason why it should be rectangular, right? And we have no idea whether, whether other civilizations would have the same kind of obsession with rectangles that we do.
2: And there's no reason why they would have screens either that can play back these things. It's like we have to have some uh, of the same technology already in order to uh, have a look at those images. I think the wonderful thing is uh, this is Carl Sagan's team that sort of set up uh, this uh, brilliant idea of the golden record, is that they believe aliens to be better than us. Uh, I think that's a lovely idea that they are actually uh, superhumans, as it were, far more intelligent. And so, Really, this is a doddle for them. They they can work all of this out, and I think that's the assumption that is being made. And it's a good assumption in a way because if you're going to do this, you might as well you know go for the best alien out there rather than for you know a slug or something. <laughs> Not that I have anything against slugs, but even though there was a slug on another planet, you wouldn't send the golden record, right?
0: No, that's I mean I think I think that's a really important point. I mean the whole project is so hopeful and so optimistic and especially against the time when it was created, the 1970s weren't such a happy time with, uh, you, I mean, certainly in America, you know, after the end of, of the Vietnam War, it's uh, the height of the Cold War and, you know, nuclear war seemed like a near certainty. And, uh, you know, against all that, it's an incredibly hopeful project.
1: So kind of getting back to the the, the slug idea, I, I, like one of the critiques that you have um, in, in the book um, is like, why not start communicating on earth with other species like slugs and dolphins before we move on to more ambitious intergalactic um, communication?
0: Yeah, I mean, people have tried. We haven't gotten very far yet. You know, I mean, the, the critics of, of SETI, of the study of extraterrestrial intelligence said, you know, we haven't even gotten to that simple part. So why don't we just start there? Um, and again, it's sort of a question of, um, of attitude, right? I mean, uh, there are, um, there are some famous experiments. I mean, you know, we, we, uh, we uh, primates, um, you know, there is Alex the parrot. There is, uh, um, there, there, there are famous series of, uh, of experiments also from, from the sixties and seventies, um, with, uh, dolphins. Um, so I mean you know all this is relatively early on I guess and uh, who knows where where this will go
2: um I mean you know I don't want to give up hope yet I think one of the nice ideas uh, that you know we've learned from the attempts to listen to other species as if they were musical is that uh we have an amazing Im- uh, imagination as humans <laughs> so for example, we would be you know listening to you know whale sounds and we would call it whale song. And we have no idea, absolutely no idea what's going on, what it means, uh, and what they're doing. But somehow it speaks to us still, right? So even though uh, we have no idea what it is and what it means, uh, it still means something to us. And it helps us actually think of whales in a different way. In fact, I think the, that the record of you know the whale song actually helped save the whales uh, in the 1970s from uh, being uh, hunted to extinction. So um, there is something about that non-communication of that non-contact or at least the kind of failed contact that still allows us to theorize or think something about another species that can connect us even though of course it's not a direct connection in any way and in fact we've probably misunderstood everything
1: i feel like that reminds me of i think you're careful not to say that music sort of is the like is a language even like the point isn't necessarily Translating or communicating in that sort of languagey-based way, um, so but that kind of makes you wonder, like, what is the relationship of music like to communication? Like beyond beyond repetition or like embedded with culture or separate from culture? Like what what sort of uh, like was like? Yeah, that's a uh, overexplaining uh, myself. Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a, it's a great question. At the same time as the golden record was sent out in 1977, that was also the year when the movie um, uh, Third Encounters, no, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out. And there's of course the, the iconic scene where contact is made, communication is made with music. It's, um, <laughs> uh, and apparently Carl Sagan hated the movie except for that scene. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think, you know, there is, at, at the very basic level, there is a sense that deliberate communication is happening, right? If you repeat patterns, and, you know, on one level, that's all that music is, um, then you are communicating, and uh, and it, you're creating a connection. Everything else beyond that becomes more complicated, but that basic fact is something that Music does really well,
2: and music is very really scalable in this sense because you know if you're just working in terms of different uh, rhythmic patterns, you can scale it to whatever um, you know your receptors need to you know what whatever bandwidth your receptors operate on. Because we're assuming that different species have different bandwidths on the on the sort of spectrum of repetition. Um, but I think one of the important things for us is not really to claim that music is uh universal in a way that is transparent the key thing for us is we're trying to come up with a theory that explains how this might or may not work what are all the different things you need to have in place so yes there's repetition but at the same time there's media and media just creates a completely new uh thing because every time a music goes through a different media it will be it will change and at the interface uh things either connect or they don't connect these are like filters that kind of scramble meaning uh in different ways so uh, making that handshake is actually ex- extremely difficult to do. But if you miss the handshake, it doesn't mean it's a disaster. Something amazing can also happen. It's just not going to be a a seamless transmission uh, of of one music from one species to another. Uh, So what we're trying to do is to explain that process. And in explaining that process, understand what music is and how it works.
1: So if if NASA or if SETI were to put out golden record 2.0 do you, like what sort of recommendations would you would you have for them
0: that's super hard i know i'm sorry we don't, no 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 no, no. We, we we've spent so much time thinking about yeah. that question i can never come up with a good answer because including one thing always <laughs> means excluding so many other things. And, you know, I want it all to go on there. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are certain things that um, people have pointed out that uh, they didn't, you know, certain omission uh, from 1977. And so, you know, I mean, there are some some white gaps on the map of music. There is nothing from the Middle East. There is nothing from the uh, Caribbean. And, you know, we we tend to think that those are important musical cultures um, that probably should be included. Then there are certain temporal elements in that, you know, like um, hip hop rap um, mm. is now a huge genre. It was sort of just coming up, bubbling up in various urban centers at the time, and it wasn't included. Um, so I think those are some some things that probably should go on the, on the rebooted version.
2: Um, and then, you know, everybody has their favorites. It's an impossible question. I think the important thing is, uh, you know, the golden record is just trying to capture a slice of time, like mm-hmm. n- 1977, because that's all you can do. And in a way, that's all we can do, because of course, they didn't really have hip hop at that time, right? So, but now we can capture, if you want, you know, 2021. Uh, but, you know, every year, will be different. There's no way we can get all that information across. But I think the really cool thing is uh, they managed to do it on a record on a mechanical thing. Uh, I think, I don't know what we'd do today uh, because I think it's much harder if you were to send, you know, a bit of digital data out into space uh, for an alien to decipher. So that sort of sense of a physical object uh, in space means much more than, in fact, our technology uh, today if you want to send that. Because I think we have sent all kinds of stuff you know, into space, but it just doesn't seem so romantic or so meaningful because it doesn't have <laughs> that wonderful object, you know, that we've made that's being sent out there. They're playing our song.
1: <laughs> I, uh, or like, that—that that is sort of like a time capsule, um, like that the golden record is a time capsule. And I guess is any piece of music or is any piece of art even um, sort of like stuck in a moment? And, like, kind of if so, what, how is like the implication of like re listening or repeating um, that event, be it a piece of music or art or a book? Does that question make sense? I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a tricky one in a way, but I think, you know, things that um, uh, artworks or pieces of music that don't get any further. Because either it's really bad or it never got out. Um, I mean, they just re- they're the things that remain in that moment, right? They they will never be heard of again, they will fossilize, and maybe they will be found in some sort of technological form in the future, uh, if if you're lucky, but it could just be lost. Um, but things that repeat in any way uh will always time travel. That's the point that we're trying to make. And when things time travel, they always change uh, because it goes through different media. Uh and, and so in that sense, all uh, music, or artworks, in a sense, are uh, like the golden record. and they're moving away in ways that become more and more alien uh, as they travel in time, and often also in space now, because of course we're you know, a big globe, a global world. Uh, and the more, we repeat these things, the more we we are familiar with them and we make sort of cultural meaning out of them. But the less we repeat them, the more they become kind of fossilized. And if they're rediscovered again in hundreds of years time, they become these alien objects that we have to decipher. So it's a little bit like the golden record. So I always think that when we try to decipher very ancient music, it's a little bit like what aliens would have to do. They would have to reverse engineer uh, whatever thing, artifact documents uh, that they have in order to try to get at what this music might be like or sound like.
0: That was beautifully put. I have nothing else to say. I think that's great.
1: <laughs> I guess maybe starting starting to wrap up. Um, I'm curious as to like what like you mentioned, Alex. Like your the, the favorite track on the record. Like what what is your what is your favorite one?
0: Oh, <laughs> that's a really video hard video? question. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, there is so much to love. I think um, there is, uh, there's one, you know, I mean, the the Golden Record creates this, I mean, admittedly very small cottage industry, but there are some really great books out on the Golden Record. And one person um, who I really admire is uh, Michael Anthony Moreno, who wrote a short a rather poetic book on uh, the golden record. And he is he's an American who moved to Israel um, several years ago, and he's not Jewish. And so there is, you know, he did feel a little bit like an alien. Um, and so, you know, part of the book is about, uh, you know, negotiating life in Israel. But also during that entire time, he had the golden record on his playlist. And that's all he listened to for, I forget how long, but a very, very long time. Um, Probably many more times than daniel have listened to it um and I think you know there are different different songs that um stand out um at various times i mean i i you know i I've been quite interested in let's see uh one which pieces do I go back to it? There is flowing water, which is a piece of Chinese music. It's uh, it's for a traditional instrument, the the chin, the gu chin, um, which is a sort of, you know, it's, it's a very refined, very quiet instrument that was favored by the uh, educated classes in Imperial China. And you played it for yourself. It was, you know, very much about contemplation. And, uh, and, um, that's a piece that i go back to it's also by far the oldest piece uh on the golden record i mean you know we it, it goes back i think to the um spring and autumn period so very very old so in in legend that's when it was supposedly created by a legendary chin player the first notated version that we have is still, you know, if we want to go by by the, uh, by the documented age, I think that's still in the 15th century. Um, and so, you know, even by that stage, it precedes all the Western music that starts uh, uh, on the Golden Record that starts a little later um, with the English Renaissance. And so that's a piece to go back to for various reasons. I think, you know, um, I think the Beethoven Cavatina, the last piece, is clearly the standout um, on this. And I'll let Daniel talk about that um, because there's a beautiful story attached to it.
2: Uh, yes. I think the favorite piece for the people that put the Golden Record together, and that would be the last piece um, that they had, which is Beethoven's Cavatina from one of his. Late quartets, and um, they made it very special because they also included on the on the other side, as it were, uh, where there you have the images, uh, a sc- an image of the score of this work, and a little uh, a violin, and also an image of a string quartet. So they're almost. Uh, there's three items there that are very closely interconnected. they wanted the aliens to really understand this. Um, and this is a great piece of music, but it's also a piece of music that um, um, much loved by uh, Andrew who um, at that time uh, fell in love uh, with uh, Carl Sagan uh, and so in fact they they sort of declared their love for each other during the making of this record. And in fact, she also recorded her her brainwaves whilst thinking of Carl Sagan. So, you know, sort of love is in the air across the Golden Record. Um, but this is very much their song, the, the Cavatina, uh, in some way. And so having it there, Uh, At the end, with all this kind of uh, photographs to go with it and so on, is something very special for them. So it's really a bit of their their, sort of their love letter, as it were, in music sent into space. But I, you know, I wrote a whole book on Beethoven's late string quartets. So, of course, that piece is also very special uh, to me and to to many, many people, because it's an extraordinary piece. Um, But the main thing, I think, about the Golden Record is that uh, the people who put it together uh, all sat down and listened For a very long time to many, 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 many different pieces of music. I mean, and they decided they would choose pieces of music that they all loved. So actually every single piece on the Golden Record is an amazing piece of music. And none of it is sort of chopped up. It's not an excerpt. It's a whole uh, piece or whole movement they've included in there. So there's a great deal of uh, aesthetic integrity, you know, uh, and that's the kind of love that's really uh, in this record, not really uh, Andrew and Carl Sagan, but there's just a the love of putting their favorite music, the music they've been listening to in, in the most beautiful way possible on this most beautiful object.
1: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I remember a part part of your book, you described sort of like the intimate Act of making like a mixtape for like your crush. I think that that sort of like what, what you both described there um, is that this this is like very much a labor of love. Like we, we and we hope that the whoever listens to it will will catch catch those feelings.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I think you know I, I think I think the idea of the mixtape is really important. I mean, it's the wrong medium, right? It's an LP, <laughs> um, but but at heart. It's a mixtape because, you know, as you say, it is the labor of love. And what you do with a mixtape is it's a very intimate gesture. It takes a long time. It's hard work. And you give something very personal away about yourself and give it to the other person and open up to their interpretation. And that's exactly what's happening here.
2: And of course you travel with mixtapes you know you put it in your car at that time all your favorite music when you drive really fast but i'm just surprised that people still know what mixtapes are you know i am thinking wow you know are we just talking to the wrong generation but anyway it seems that everybody knows what a mixtape is still uh and i think uh, it's it's a wonderfully nostalgic uh sort of format now uh but it's so cool that they send a mixtape into space uh to send love to the alien. And I think that's the other important thing about the golden record. You know, it's a completely non-violent gesture uh, that we're sending out to the universe. I think the point that we make at the end is, well, we don't know whether the universe is a meaningful place of peace, but if you were an alien and you discovered this golden record, you probably think, oh yes, this universe is peaceful.
1: I also love the pun that you make, you're like, oh, we come in like peace, like music peace. That got me every time. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of as a as a last question, at the, the linear end of your book, you have a, a repeat, but I, I wonder what the sort of like the next event has been for you, or like what new repetitions that readers could be on the lookout for for you both. <laughs> or if it's an odd book, you know, what what's what's the next project? That's what I'm gonna ask. <laughs> well, funny you should say
0: that because we are. I mean you know the, the book already just came out um, and I think you know I think we're still a little bit in recovery mode but mm. I, I, I we we are inching our way toward another topic that's um, equally big but much less fun in some ways um, it's about the, the question of the Anthropocene mm. and you know the 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 question of you know what what music's role is in understanding climate change and uh, you know i mean we are at the beginning of this but the question of temporality and repetition are also really important there um and that that's where we are at the moment
2: yes i mean we did think about um, doing a pop-up theory of how many books so the things popping up on the page because we were thinking of all these crazy objects but I think that we, we're going to put that on the shelf so yeah I, I think something like alien listening um, helps put, Earth in perspective. And so when we're thinking about these bigger timescales, and the Anthropocene, obviously, is a kind of geological timescale, and thinking about objects rather than subjects, uh, it sort of naturally leads us to think more about, um, yeah, uh, where we fit in these kind of biggest timescales and these questions about climate change and our species and the role of music there. And once you have a much bigger concept of music, you can begin to think, in this kind of way with on about the Anthropocene um but these are very nascent thoughts at the moment which is sort of uh, uh it's emergent that's sort of that way <laughs> it, it may come together but the great thing is Alex and I have great fun writing because we sort of uh, sort of push up each other into areas of craziness that we wouldn't normally do. <laughs> but I think we should be more sober in this book, <laughs> slightly more sober, just in a slightly different tone. Uh, but yeah, um, so that's that's the that's the that's the plan anyway.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, we have to keep Earth around if we actually want to meet the aliens that. Get to read, get to hear the golden record. So it sounds exactly. like a good piggyback off of this, off of this book for sure. Well, cool. That's all the all the questions I had. Um, thank you both for taking the time to discuss this book with me. It's definitely a pleasure.
2: Thanks a so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much.